everyone, and thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the MusicCast podcast. We hope everyone's doing well um, midway through your week and you're making it through okay, um, depending on where you're at, maybe surviving some of the colder weather and snow. Um, this episode today we have is our conversation that we had a chance to have with Tony Memel. Tony Memel is a singer-songwriter and speaker, awesome perspective in terms of how he teaches and who he teaches. Tony was actually born with one hand and he taught himself at an early age to play guitar and from there he's kind of built this into um, how he approaches music and how he te- approaches teaching works with a lot of students that have limb differences and works on how to overcome them. So it's a really uplifting, awesome conversation to have. He has a lot of awesome information for people that might have students with limb differences or anything that they need to help their students overcome. Just anything that you might have if you have a challenging situation that you're helping a student work through. He gave some great information. Also goes into some of the music business side of things and connecting with people outside of the United States. He's visited 47 of the 50 states toured about 17 countries so far sharing his music and how he teaches um so so much great information really good feel good episode this uh this week so again we hope everyone's doing well thanks for joining us for another one and we hope you enjoy our conversation with tony be well Hello, all. Welcome to another episode of the Music Cast podcast. Thanks for um, hopping in and listening to us again whenever you find us during the day or in the evening. And um, this time we are joined with Tony Memel. Tony, thank you very much for hopping on and chatting with us for a little while. Thank you so much for hosting me today. It's great to be on the show. And um, so, Tony, just to give a little bit of a background, because we have listeners from all over, uh, would you mind giving us just a little bit of uh, where are you located right now, first of all? Well, I, I'm originally from the state of Wisconsin. That's where I was born and raised and got my beginnings in music. But seven years ago, my wife and I decided it was time for a change. And we decided to move to Nashville, Tennessee to pursue music in an even bigger way here. So that's where I am today and where I've been working uh, predominantly for the last seven years. That's awesome. So as we get to um, the, the what you're doing in music and all those things, if we can go all the way back to Wisconsin, can you give us a little bit of a rundown of what what got you to the point of deciding to move to Nashville? What's your background in music? Sure. So I've always loved music since I was a child. I grew up enjoying singing and I played trumpet in the school band starting in about fifth grade and then and, and did that all the way through senior year in high school and in a competitive marching band and all of, all of those kind of cool things. But it was really the guitar that really got my imagination stirred up and, and made me think I might be able to write and play my own songs. And I had a friend from school named Max. And Max had this amazing ability. He could just hear a song off the radio. And before it was even done playing, he could play it on a guitar. And I thought, that's the coolest thing in the world. And I want to be able to do that too. And what was going to be a unique challenge for me is I was born with one hand. And so learning to play the guitar was going to take a lot of creativity and uh, and it was something I had never even seen done before. So I started to brainstorm. I saved up to buy my first instrument, developed all kinds of different casts and methods. And now I travel all around the world uh, making music for people professionally and based out of Nashville, Tennessee. So there was a, this many years of, of practice and trial and error that led me to where I am today. But it was really the guitar and my friend Max that inspired me in those earlier years. What was the reaction of like your family and friends when you said, I, I, wa- I want to play the guitar? Were they supportive or <laughs> you know, what did that look like? 
my parents had a lot of questions for me. They were really curious about what I was thinking that was going to look like. Um, they were just plainly like, Do you, you know, you, you use two hands to play the guitar, right? <laughs> like, like just like kind of this really kind of in-depth discussion with them. And plus, when I was doing my research, I realized that almost everybody plays guitar where they hold the instrument with the left hand and then strum with the right. So finding a guitar that you could play where you strum with the left and hold with the right was my first big challenge. And the only one I could find, this is before like just shopping online was very common, was for $600 in the local music store. So that, I was like, mom and dad, can you buy me a $600 guitar? <laughs> you know, there, was a, there were a lot of things that came with this. And, you know, I, I always tell this story, especially to students, because they said, you know, we'll encourage you, but you're going to have to come up with at least half on your own. So I actually had to work really hard to even get an instrument into my house. And I think that in its own way, it was encouraging me because when I finally brought that guitar home and sat it on my bed and I looked at it and it was so shiny and new and no one had ever played it before. I was like, I just spent a long time working up to even having a guitar that I could hold. I'm going to work really hard at this. <laughs> and so I really committed to it in a big way before I even played my first notes on the instrument. Um, and I think that was something that maybe un even unintentionally, my parents were almost daring me, like, how bad do you want this? <laughs> was that something that you were aware of as you were going, like the, um, the option to have maybe activities or things that were a little more approachable or maybe wouldn't have as much need to be, have like ingenuity to figure out how it works. Um, was that something you were aware of as you were doing it? Or is it a more of a look back thing now where you go, wow, this is great that I went through all of that. And I, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. I think it's more the, the second way that you phrased it. I mean, I played trumpet and band and one of the earlier considerations was we had a trumpet in the house because my mom had played. So that was first of all, inexpensive. And it was an instrument that I could hold by just simply using my, my right hand to primarily hold it and my left arm just to prop it up. Um, so when it came to the guitar, I, it might even sound funny, but I just believed I could do it. I figured I, I would figure it out. I mean, I liked, um, you know, we're gonna talk mainly about music, but I loved playing sports growing up. So I was used to figuring out like how to hold a, a baseball bat and how to catch the ball and take off my glove and throw it. And I figured out how to do that and play pretty well. And so it just seemed like guitar was going to be something like that as well. Now it ended up being significantly more complicated than that. And it took me almost eight years of trial and error before I felt like really, like I was a really confident player singing and playing my own songs on a stage, for example, because my early casts and the things that I was going through, were they would I'd be on a stage with my early bands and it would fall off under the hot stage lights in the middle of a song, you know, and I'd have to, so even in that moment, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was learning how to, you know, be comfortable in front of an audience, even when it didn't go right, learning how, what it looks like and feels like when you totally mess up on stage and how to keep going through that and how to keep, you know, learning these skills that you only learn through really that, those more difficult experiences. And I've just started to, I think, apply what I learned at that time to all different areas of life, that those things that seem like they're really challenging in the moment are things that really shape us down the road. I don't know if we could have paid you to say it better in that way. That's one of the things that we pretty constantly have conversations. Oh, with right. Of, like, and we, we know, and we're not, we're not naive to the fact that everyone in our 600 or like 60, 70 person orchestras or bands are going to become music teachers. It's the, it's the 
the working together or the pushing through and persevering and learning how to kind of evolve and adapt in different ways is what we we teach but when you say that it's like telling a kid to eat their vegetables they're kind of like yeah 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 whatever like you have to say that it's no big deal just get us we, to the concert that's right we hear it so much on repeat don't we i mean that's a that common refrain of work hard don't give up and these things that we just keep encouraging students to try to remember um and then what kind of becomes interesting is like now i seek that encouragement you know i'm listening to podcasts every day that come up with clever ideas and encourage those same deep foundational truths that exist across any discipline across any area of study and uh and that we thankfully our our teachers <laughs> and instructors are are pushing and and trying to get us to remember from a very young age now as you find yourself um we are more in like a technological age now and you're attached to the internet once you kind of got to that point where you could see what other people were saying did you did you feel like you were seeing people have similar struggles and have to overcome obstacles that you did even now today with the access to the internet? Or did you kind of find more support groups as the internet opened up to you? Yeah. So uh, when I was young, really, I, I was born way, way back in 1985. So when we were going through, um, like when I was first born, my parents didn't really have a great deal of connection to other people who had similar differences to myself. Um, my mom did her best, you know, through even things called phone trees, where they would call different people who happen to, you know, have the same physician or, you know, to build these communities where we get together with a, uh, occasionally with other children who lived in the Milwaukee area where I grew up. And uh, so that was sort of what it looked like then. And then as I started when I was 13 years old and beyond, especially in my 20s, started going out and sharing the songs that I was writing and getting um, some opportunities to play on TV or to be in the newspaper, that then I started getting Facebook messages and Instagram messages and, uh, and now, you know, people writing to me on TikTok and emails, you know, like from all over the world who, who saw that I had that I was able to play the guitar and and at a pretty uh, good competency level so they started asking me how do you how do you do that how do you design that and then I was asked to be an adaptive music teacher at an adaptive camp and so like all of my students that were coming to see me in my studio were people who had physical differences and so all those earlier lessons that we described all those casts and quote unquote failures that maybe I thought didn't work at the time ended up informing my instruction later on as I was helping students and to develop their own casts with similar but also different physical differences. And so really the community started to develop, I think, especially with this explosion of social media and, and this, the hearts that people have for creating their own groups for people with hand and limb differences. That's what I, I call what I have um, all across the, the world, really. And now I get to go and visit them in their hospitals and schools and churches and homes and uh, bring my message and my adaptive cast and encourage people every chance I get. What? What advice would you give to teachers who have students with limb differences that, um, like, where can they start? Because, you know, I see on, like, uh, national Facebook groups and that kind of thing for, I'm an orchestra teacher. Um, they'll say, you know, I have a student who's missing some fingers or, you know, a hand, whatever. Like, what can I do? Where can I start? And, you know, some people say, well, if you're by a university, maybe they can work with you or do mm -hmm. something. But are there organizations out there that teachers can turn to? 
Absolutely. First of all, I'd be very happy to be a reference or resource for anybody who's maybe has a student coming through that they're trying to work with coming up with special adaptive methods. And I'd be happy to give out my, my email address uh, right here on the podcast, Tony at TonyMemmel.com. Feel free to email me anytime. Um, I can awesome. help connect you also to other teachers who teach other instruments. For example, speaking of orchestra, in, at that same music camp, I have colleagues who are teaching adaptive cello to students who had arms that um, were born without arms that stop at the shoulders. And so they were wow. teaching students to play with their feet. Um, and I had a student who came to me uh, who was really hopeful to learn the, to play the guitar, but really didn't have any idea of how they could actually make that happen. The student was born with a right arm that stopped at the shoulder and a shortened leg with a foot that stopped right about where your knee would be. And so when she came to my studio, I thought, what if we develop a, cat, a, a, a device that would set a guitar in front of her and she could use her foot to strum like this back and forth on the strings and then chord facing the instrument and pushing down on the strings. And so we bought a, an adapted, or we adapted a, a tool from a hardware store, which is a saw stand that you might use to do a construction project. And that held the guitar in front of her. And she was able to play her first song for her peers within a week. So my encouragement to teachers always is try to help your students accomplish the vision that they're already seeking. Because underneath that, that hope and desire to play music, there's often a deep practice ethic, a deep hope to make it happen in a, in a way that that uh, if you can just even help find some early ways to help your students through that, that they will often take it and run with it on their own. We've had, I've had a, a few experiences with students who have had different, different difficulties. I've had, I've had blind students. I've had uh, partially deaf students in one ear and just like those different things. And I think one thing that you mentioned there in terms of that deep practice habit, I think one of the things that's so beautiful about it is um, what you learn fairly quickly when you work with people like that is if you can just find the way that you're not another person that tells them no, they're probably mm -hmm. going to be some of your hardest workers because they, they are inherently accepting challenge at any given time. And yes. all they need is they know how to get from one, two and three, and they just don't know how to get through four and five. And as soon as you get there, they'll be long gone and cruising and doing their thing. Um, yes. and it's, it's such a positive for teachers. It's such a positive um, output to see happen. It's just a lot of unknown in the middle. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no, I totally agree with what you just said. And would I mean, that I 100% I believe that, that those students will often be your hardest workers and that they're used to figuring out things. I, I say that frequently that that people with physical or just differences in general, their whole lives are often set up in ways that they're constantly creating new and interesting solutions to, to things that the rest of the world might look at as a weakness or a challenge or a problem. And they're just figuring it out every single day from when they're first learning to crawl to when they're learning to play instruments to when they're going through college to when they're figuring out how to carry all their books through, you know, around campus all day, whatever it happens to be, that there's all these ways that they're always adapting. And uh, to tap into that is, is something that I always encourage teachers to do. Can you talk a little bit about, um, on your website, there's a lot of um, diplomacy and uh, volunteerism that you do, and you've touched on it a little bit, but can you talk about the impact that's had on not only others, but what it means um, for you and your life and how powerful you've seen music be. Yeah. 
Well, something that I've really learned and that we all kind of inherently know, I believe, but that I've really seen put into practice, especially in the last four years of the work that I do, is I work with, I've seen music work as an amazing tool to open doors to conversation and to bridge uh, borders and, and, and build these bridges through cultures around the world, even when it, when language isn't the common shared thing. So for example, I work with a program called American Music Abroad and Arts Envoy, which is works in cooperation with the United States Department of State to send American culture and music all around the world. And I've been fortunate to be a part of programs that have brought me to 17 different countries in the last four years, where I've visited Central Asia, the Middle East, South America, Southeast Asia, sharing music and a message. So along with my story of overcoming adversity to learn to play the guitar, I'm often having the opportunity to encourage people wherever they're at, especially around the world. Disability and difference is often looked at very differently than it is in the United States. And it's something that actually the United States really, in, in a lot of ways, a lot of countries around the world look to the United States for how we have done things here in terms of accessibility and infrastructure. If you go to a lot of places around the world, the sidewalks are two or three feet off the ground and there's really nowhere to, to even take a wheelchair. Or, and oftentimes I'm, I'm told, you know, when we go to conferences and things that people in, in some countries, they oftentimes are carried as long as they can physically by a family member until they're too heavy to carry and then they're laid in the bed that they'll stay in for the rest of their lives. And so when they have an opportunity to meet somebody who plays guitar professionally and tours around the world with a physical difference where that's often not looked at maybe a little differently in different cultures, it's something that opens this amazing conversation and there's, uh, these, these great bridges. And, and so that is the nature of the work that I do there. It's through disability, through differences, through music, having these great conversations and developing nations around the world. And it's been something that I didn't anticipate doing when I was a child or my first goals of learning to play the guitar but I'm so so glad it didn't quit I didn't quit because now I have this amazing opportunity to do this this work around the world how often do you get to um, collaborate musically um, not just in those initial travels and things like that but how often do you get to collaborate across country borders with music making so last year I toured in person to nine different countries around the world this year I've worked virtually with 10 different countries around the world supplying content um, doing sim similar to what we're doing today we'll have a zoom conversation with a local artist and then we'll pick select a song and we'll try and make those I, call, I always call them Brady Bunch videos where we're all in different panels on the screen and uh, so it's been a lot of things like that this year using the tools and and the time that we do have to make something meaningful and hopefully impactful that we can share via social media. And in that way, even in the time and place that we're in, I'm also very, very grateful that these tools do exist and we're able to continue doing this work and reaching, reaching out to different communities around the globe. And um, so that's sort of the nature of what it's been like this year. It's definitely been different. I'm hopeful to get back to in-person in a lot of ways, but uh, also really neat to see virtual opportunities that present themselves. This is like my dream job, like <laughs> help people travel the world, play music. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you should. So the, actually applications are open right now and I've been encouraging teachers um, to, to apply, especially because you, 
in, in many cases in the past, you know, I've toured for up to six weeks with these programs and that can be very restrictive to teachers because you can't leave school for six weeks. But this year they're doing everything virtually. So there are opportunities to actually build these connections across the globe. I'd be happy to leave some information uh, for you about that. It's called, like I said, American Music Abroad. You yeah. can Google the, the, uh, the, the website and check that out and do the application and maybe get selected to travel virtually to different countries around the globe this year. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. And as a side note to that too, any listeners, especially if you're on the younger side of things or you're just getting out of college or you're an early teacher, I can tell you for sure that if you take a chance, no matter how uncomfortable it feels to travel somewhere and do something, you will inherently feel out of your comfort zone, but it is transformative in terms of how you teach to travel somewhere. It's phenomenal to do. Yeah. I second that. It's definitely a major impact. Yeah. So um, one of the other things that I think is very clear on your website and your social media is that you work with your family, um, your wife specifically. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about um, what that's like and how you make it work so well? Absolutely. So I met my, my wife on my very first day of college. <laughs> I walked into choir and I was looking for a place to sit and she was, she was a year ahead of me in school and there was an open seat and she said, come sit by me if you'd like to. And so we started singing from our first day knowing each other and uh, developed a friendship and then a relationship, got married. And um, now we have a, a little boy named Theo who also tours with us. He's part of the family band. And um, building that relationship from the very first days around music uh, has been really impactful for, for our lives together. And we always had a, a collective feeling of, of what we were aiming toward and striving for and, and building something as a team through our relationship and partnership um, as a, as a couple. And so it's really been a part of us music and, and the work that we do has been a part of us since our first day knowing each other. And so uh, I'm, I feel extremely blessed to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, for example, when I toured to, when I described earlier, tra traveling to Southeast Asia for six weeks, my wife was right by my side, you know, singing and playing percussion and, and doing, you know, the interviews and, and things like that. So we, we get to share this, this work together, which is very meaningful. Can I ask what, um, what was your major in college? I studied music. It was called music business or music industry. Okay. So I, I studied um, not only how to make music, but it was basically a music major. So I studied voice as my primary instrument. I had to take theory and piano and, um, and music history and all of those things. But then I also took a lot of classes about marketing and and uh, how business operations work. And now all of those things, uh, the principles are still there, but at the time we weren't even using Facebook and Instagram and things like that, which is so much of what business looks like nowadays and so these amazing tools available. But those principles were there and also a little bit of recording study, just like learning a little bit about how microphones work and things like that really helped to make my music hope of being a professional musician very applicable in the world. That's something I encourage young students to learn a little bit about business, learn about how to, you know, find a place for yourself, a niche in the, in the, in the music world, uh, especially as a performer or even a teacher. I'm an independent teacher and, you know, even having these opportunities to teach students with physical differences is something most teachers aren't doing in their individual studios. So I get a lot of people who come to me for that specific need. And so just finding those different things about yourself, areas you can serve and find um, are things that were really the, that music industry degree helped me to look for those things in a different way, I think. When you, when you left college, was there, I keep hitting my microphone, sorry. When you <laughs> left college, um, 
did you go right into performance? Was there any ever worry about what that was going to look like? I mean, I think it's something performers would normally worry about, but. Yeah, no, it's, it was really difficult. Yeah. I, I, I make no, um, make no claim. Otherwise being a musician takes a lot of work. I think that's, that's why I always encourage learning a little bit about the business side, because when I, came out of college, it was more than just about practicing three or four hours a day and becoming a really strong player. I also had to learn how to build a website. I had to learn what it meant to book a tour. I had to learn, you know, these, these different skills that, uh, that took a lot of time and effort and trial and error. Um, you know, so like when I first came out of college, I didn't have enough performance experience or, or, um, gigs lined up to, to really even have that be my full-time job. So I took a job as a a telemarketer. I was making cold calls to people trying to sell website space. And then, um, and then after that, I said, I really want to do this full time. So I just kind of dove in, uh, which was difficult. You know, I spent some time I, I, on those tours that I described. I slept in my car sometimes. I, pl- I sang for my supper quite literally in, in places that I would go. Um, and but through that and through like learning those experiences, then next time I went out, then my crowd was a little bit bigger next time. And my songs were a little better and my performance was a little better. I was a little more comfortable on stage and you just, you know, you have to build those muscles up and, and really push to find work as a performer. So in a COVID era, what does, what does your performance career look like? Not so much the volunteer stuff. Yeah, it's really different. So this, yeah, so I've been encouraging uh, other other musicians in something I'm I'm just calling like virtual entrepreneurship. How can you look with the skills that you do have, the time and place that you are in, to continue to find a place to serve and use your music and your talents and your gifts and abilities with the framework that we happen to all be working within. I actually just had a friend send me an article yesterday that said that every business, so call that every musician, is basically a startup again right now. You're looking to find new ways to make your music relevant and to find an audience. So what I've been encouraging people to do is to think of areas that, that still are going on. I do a lot of work where I visit virtually visit schools and I put together virtual assemblies, virtual songwriting workshops. Uh, I work with, I'm still working with embassies around the world, creating virtual content for their social media platforms. I'm collaborating with other musician friends from around the country who are gifted in their own ways. So I just put a, a video together that was a cover song for, um, for American Music Abroad again, but it was using my, my different friends from there. So there was a DJ and a fiddle player and some country singers. And I put a, a video together using all of their talents and shared it online. So there's just different ways that we're able to connect. And it certainly is, uh, it's, it's very challenging, but I think same as we described about people with, with differences before, I think musicians also have to be just creative in how they come up with ways to find avenues for their music and their talents. And so I, I, I just continually try to encourage people in that. And one of the gifts that musicians really have, and then I just, I really try to stress right now is what is the foundation of music? It's listening. And so if you can apply that to what you, what you hear in conversations with friends over Zoom or what you hear from other, other friends from college who also just graduated and they're trying to solve problems in their own industries, you might be able to find really ways that music was never even used before just by like hearing the needs that people have and trying to find you know, ways to plug your own talent in in those places. In terms of adapting and evolving to different places, there were two questions actually I had um, for you about your travels and things like that. How have you seen your 
music making, your personal music making evolve over um, these travels to different countries? Have you seen your style change at all? Style, that's, that's an interesting one. I think so much of what we're trying to bring is sharing, I mean, I, I make sort of an Americana folk country sound, sound with my band. And what we often do, I mean, one of the goals of the program is sharing American culture. But then when we go to another place, we're also collaborating with other local artists who play, you know, local instruments. And so one of the coolest collaborations I had uh, is our band played a song I wrote for my son when he was first born called My Baby. And it's just kind of this fun, kind of like almost classic, classic, fun, up-tempo rock song. And it was at a classical conservatory in Baku, Azerbaijan. Um, and this, this student from the university said, uh, could I add an instrument called the tar, which is basically, it's a lot like a guitar, but he came up on stage and started playing this, this instrument that I had never been previously very familiar with outside of maybe like a music culture class in college. And he starts like roaring over the top of our song with this tar solo. And it was so much fun. And so um, I, I really treasure those experiences of having heard, you know, songs that we're familiar with, pop or rock songs, and then having them kind of just come to life in an all new way with different instruments um, that, that you get to experience around the world. It's, it's really neat when, you know, I go to a place uh, last, last year, right at this time, I was in Saudi Arabia. And sometimes you, you are collaborating with somebody who, even as you're trying to communicate, like what song you'll do together, you're not speaking the same language. But as soon as you start playing, you know, you start, and it goes back to what we just said before about listening, you know, in, in that experience, I have to listen very closely to what that person is doing on their instrument in order to follow along, to sound, to make something that sounds cohesive. And you really have to dial in with somebody else in a way that you, we don't, we're not always used to, to listening in that deep of a way. But when you're playing music together, if you want to sound cohesive, you have to really dial in. And so I, I think it's really something that I've appreciated a lot about, about those collaborations is just um, improving that skill, that like really having to, to focus on what somebody else is sharing and, and, uh, and, then, and then try and bring your own element to it at the same time. It's, it's really neat. And that, in a lot of ways, is, is the core, that's the core of what, of your work in terms of just listening and seeing what people are bringing to the table, both challenges and positive work. And as you look back after the amount of time that you've done this work, have you, I'm curious, have you started to see as you work in these different countries and these different um, circuits of people, have you started to see almost younger versions of you develop where you see, <laughs> I don't know the right way to ask that. Like, have you seen young youths who have become a source of information and knowledge for their cultures and their areas? That's one of the big things that we're really hoping to encourage and inspire um, and something that, you know, no one's ever asked me that question before, but it's, it's really uh, insightful because, you know, that's, that's something that people actually say to me when we go. And for example, last year I was in a, a country, uh, the country of Georgia in a city called Tbilisi. And, uh, and they said they were really grateful that we would come there and share this message because hopefully they want to encourage a generation of people with differences to be able to share their unique gifts, their unique insights uh, with, with the world. And, um, and so I, I appreciate you asking that question. And again, no one's ever asked me that before, but I think that's really a, such a core element of, of what we're trying to do and something that I don't always know. You know, a, a lot of the times when, when I go to a place, I, 
I know I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to share the message that I came to share. And you don't always know like what hearts it touches, what seeds are planted in that place. Um, but that I also, I also don't always, I also have to let go of like, like trying to control that. I let, I try and just know that I'm going to do my part and then hopefully something lands where, where it will. And maybe somebody, you know, 10 years from now, uh, that was, you know, eight years old when they heard me play is going to be a professional musician in Cambodia. Um, because they learned that they could, you know, adapt and figure something new out on their own. And I, I really hope for that. And I, I have seen some, some really neat players and uh, met some people who do things completely adaptively. And, um, I love seeing that happen. And I think it certainly probably comes from a point of um, humility on your side of things. And I yeah. think that a lot of people don't, like you said, like you, you wanted to play guitar when you were younger and you, you started filling all those steps. I don't know if you woke up one day and said, I'm going to change the world and this is what I'll use to do it. The $600 guitar and it happens. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I That's think right. <laughs> I, just, I just think about, I think about the elements of like the cello players or the, uh, the, the hopeful guitarist that, um, even if people haven't said no to them, you might be the first person that didn't say no, but then said, let's figure out how. And just to know that there are those stories out there or the parents watch that happen and they become an outlet to other parents is just such a cool thing. And that's, it's the wonder of the internet. And it's really special that we have that now that we can access. So I'm sure that it's there, but I think it's very cool to think that you might all of a sudden in a couple of years, bump into someone that say, might say, you taught me guitar. And that's so Absolutely. Cool. I would, if it's all right, I'd love to share actually one little story that actually, it, it didn't actually relate to my arm necessarily, but it was a teacher who believed in me in a circumstance. Um, so when I was a, a senior in high school, or I was a, a late junior year, I had a, a new teacher in my school who happened to be a choir director. And I mentioned before I was in band and I had never been in, in the school choir. And she heard me goofing around in the hallways one day. I was singing NSYNC songs, trying to make my, my friends laugh. And, um, and she said, Tony, I think we can put that voice to better use in my choirs. I know you're going to be a senior. Why don't you come join? And I, I'm sure we can get some space in your schedule. And sure enough, I had like three choir classes my senior year, and I ended up being the lead in the school musical. And she said, I think you could do this with your life if you really wanted to. And there's a scholarship audition coming up at a local university. I know that choir director, like, is that something you'd, you'd be interested in trying for? And I said, yes. I auditioned a couple weeks later. I got the scholarship and I ended up going to school to be a musician. I had thought maybe I would go to school to be a history teacher and maybe do music, like just building a career after school or something like that. So where my friends or saw, you know, me being goofy, somebody else heard potential. And it was a teacher that I'm still very grateful for. And now I happen to be colleagues with, um, we, we've done programs uh, across the country together. And so, you know, regardless of physical difference or not, she, she heard a voice and heard potential, you know, so whatever it happens to be that, you know, I think teachers have this unique opportunity to, to see potential where others might not understand it or recognize it. That's so lovely. I think our audience is going to hear that and just, like everyone needs a, a little reminder of that, I think, right now. Um, yeah. If you had to pick one thing from your career, kind of as like the biggest takeaway lesson or piece of life advice, um, kind of to wrap things up, what what would you say it, it was? Mm -hmm. I would say that there is real value in stick to There are so many days where like, where it is really hard. You know, we kind of breeze over these things. Like I had to learn to build my own website 10 years ago and that 
that's, that wasn't my skill set. That wasn't what I was good at. I had to learn, I'm like reading about computer code and I'd rather be playing my guitar or sit, you know, writing a song or something like that. But uh, there, something I've really noticed is that there were, there were times where there were other musicians who maybe had, had stronger flows of their career where they were doing really well at a time, but they didn't keep going in it. And like, if you can just keep going and, ha and have this, this sort of singular focus on your goal and your mission on serving people, on, on helping, on using your music to make, make a difference in the world that really fuels you in a way that's really necessary because it's really, it is really difficult. And something I've noticed now is that I'm still going 11 years in from just applying that sort of on an everyday level. I wake up with gratitude, even if every day isn't exactly what I want to be doing or exactly like what I, where I thought I might be, it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to be working really hard at where I am and trying to make impact in the place that I am. And those things have, have really resonated in a way that, that I just really want to encourage you listeners today. Just keep going keep working so hard and, and stick with it even on those difficult days because they will come. And if you can work your way through it, you'll be on the other end with, you'll be stronger for having gone through it. So if people want to find a little bit more of you, a little bit more of these inspirational messages, where are some places that they can turn? Well, I would love to connect with you again. I'm Tony Memel. I'm TonyMemel.com, Tony Memel on Instagram, Tony Memel on Facebook. Uh, I feel free to reach out. I, I try and respond to every email. Tony at TonyMemel.com again for my email address. Uh, I try and respond to every Instagram message and uh, I really try and build a community out of, out of helping people. So please uh, reach out anytime about anything. And I'd, I'd love to continue to be a resource for you and a friend. I will say getting a hold of you was potentially like one of the easiest uh <laughs> people so i can i can back that up i mean you okay, guys did a wonderful right. job so well yeah, i'll, tell, I'll tell my wife leslie that she she also helps to just kind of operate the administrative administrative side of what we do we really believe in uh, you know that goes back to that business side of things like we really try and be prompt with people we really want to make you understand that we really value you for reaching out and i'm really glad to have had the opportunity to speak with you on this podcast today i love speaking uh about these subjects <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I know I'm feeling so inspired and just kind of as we come to this lull around Christmas and school, like this is, this is exactly what I needed to hear. So thank you. So